Hello, my name is David Turner and this is another Lula Poetry Short and today I'm just off the Old Kent Road in South London and I'm joined by Amy Blakemore. And Amy's uh, debut collection, Humber Summer, was recently published by Eyewear, so I'm sure we'll hear some of that during the chat. Um, hello, Amy. Hello. We'll start with a reading. Okay. Um, this is a pretty new poem I'm reading first uh, called Teeth Dreams and it's sort of about... Um, pain <laughs> and uh, murderers. So, teeth dreams. One, relates to communication. What would it mean to you if I said mother at the kitchen table, Schopenhauer? Dentists are beginning to know you now. Teeth or autobiography, the orphan genre, a fixed address and useful hardware. It's morbid, but I stayed up late to read about the victims of Jeffrey Dahmer. How sad to be the one who is not reported missing. Resolved to filed records, a few unseated vertebrae, a drifter. Predictably had nightmares of a different serial killer, an injection of perplexity to the brain. I want you to describe the pain, like a hair is caught between the front two teeth or a filament of flame. Fig one, you bite the hem of a wedding dress and they all come clean away. When you think about them, teeth are odd. These chromium exposed parts on, not of our bodies. But not as odd as your mouth would look without them like a blood orange, split and dripping. I like to touch the sides of your face, a little below the ears, just after you have shaved. Two, in scripture. Your favorite saint is Simeon. It separates from out of him like fire or the calyx of a brilliant flower, a plane of flesh excised with messages, for through each saw, souls like leeks. And three ribs were in its mouth, between its teeth. And thus they said to it, arise, devour much meat. A wall, and sixty-five feet stands between the world and thee. I forget you're a Catholic. Truly, badly, deeply. Three. Power. And I'd follow you through the mirror to a dreamscape made up of calorific pinks and corals. Proper ayahuasca shit. Let me sit beside and touch your feet the whole trip. The stepped pyramid opens with a smile. And there we are by Dama's altar. The black vinyl shower curtain and dicks preserved in jars. And I'll tell you the story about the ladybird that bit my finger in the park. Um, and the next poem I'm going to read is the title poem of uh, my collection, Humbert Summer. Might as well. Humbert Summer. Subtly dirtied by four-day drinking in a basement flat, I feel like bunting a paisley tie and private wasp stings on a powder blue day. You're old. You won't get it. I want an epic landscape sick of pushing syllables down the stairwell, hey geographic, on some middle-class Beasley Street. A colour retromaniac, I idolise violence and Duran Duran, but I don't want either to happen to me. My first world problems, intertextuality, shit MD, and the inevitable death of David Bowie. Thank you very much, Amy. Hello. Thank How you. are you? <laughs> um, a bit hungover, but yeah. good. <laughs> um, I just want to say, to start, um, yeah, teeth are really odd, aren't they? I'm glad you said <laughs> I just, I can't, sometimes when I'm talking to people, I can't believe that they we can talk about anything other than the fact we've got rows of exposed teeth in our, in our, <laughs> it's actually, in our faces. Um, it's really odd. That poem, um, starting from about a year ago, uh, my boyfriend started having weird psychosom like, psych I think it's psychosomantic? Hmm. Um, pain in his teeth. His teeth are perfect. He's been to every dentist going, um, so they've concluded it must be a psychological thing, but it doesn't seem to be good. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me talking about this. He tells everyone. <laughs> um, 
so it's that that poem is sort of about that but I was quite fascinated by the idea of sort of psychosomatic toothache and how you explain that to people without sounding like a complete nutter yeah <laughs> I suppose the amount of nerves you've got around that part of your body I suppose it makes sense that if you're going to have psychosomatic pain anyway yeah, yeah, teeth. I mean, it's it's just such a link with apparently an unusual and, one. Yeah. Um, to get kind of you know psychosomatic. I had four teeth removed recently. I've had this this uh, the late part of 2015 was just a complete yeah just a toothy nightmare. I st- I started looking into kind of the significance of teeth as well though and what they mean in dreams. Mm. Um, and there's all these different you know having dreams about your teeth falling out or exploding or is apparently a very common thing. Exploding teeth. Exploding oh, teeth. I have one once, um, an exploding teeth dream. And um, there's all these different, um, it's a big thing in the Bible and um, it denotes all sorts of different weird stuff. Apparently having having dreams about your teeth falling out or hurting. So you go. <laughs> crazy. crazy, I suppose we better talk about some poetry now. Okay. Um, <laughs> first question is always, why poetry? Um, I think, um, well, I started off trying to write prose and um, I enjoyed it but I don't think I was very good at it <laughs> um, and I suppose on a basic level this sounds like super mundane um, poetry fits quite well around my life at the moment I work full-time and I do you know various different jobs um, so it's something that fits quite well around that which makes it sound like I don't like poetry or like uh, but I just I suppose I mean if I had all day to write perhaps I would experiment more with different forms and blah and um, prose but as it is poetry feels like something I can do justice to in the time I have available I think Um, it's nice when poets talk about the realities of their life because even for someone that's just had a collection come out Mm. it doesn't mean that it changes (laughs) your life at all doesn't it It give you any more probably means you've got less time to actually write poetry what we're promoting and doing readings yeah. and stuff and the reality for most poets is that the right the act of writing fits in around yeah, completely I'm, I'm lucky if I can find you know I, I try and write at least a little bit most days but you know the reality is I'm lucky if I can find maybe 10 solid hours a week in which I can actually write which wouldn't really be compatible with I don't know um epic verse or you know trying to get a, a spy novel out um, <laughs> but um aside from that I like the fact that you can do particularly now kind of you know the boundaries have shifted you can do kind of whatever you want with poetry and there are lots of you know people doing really experimental yeah. stuff do you find with because obviously there was dark quite dark elements um mm. ob- obvious elements to the, the first two things you read mm. there but do you find it easier to write about pain in, in shorter bursts like that um yes I suppose if kind of you know say the novelistic equivalent of the sort of poetry I write would be incredibly unremittingly dark and probably not have much of an audience <laughs> um, like uh you know it um so in that sense I think um I'm very interested in short poetry shorter poetry and that's something I'm working on at the moment kind of um a series or collection of really really short poems like you know six lines a pop uh, sort of thing um, I'm interested in the kind of um, almost sort of monumental or monolithic quality of very short poems um, I'll probably read some of those as we carry on there's there's something about there's something about the form uh, particularly short poetry I'm very interested in trying to sort of make something that small as perfect as possible yeah. kind of like haiku or 
um, fragments of Sappho or uh, I think it's um, a James Baldwin quote you just want to get that bone dry sentence that's what I'm yeah, yeah. really interested in uh, in doing and um, so what have been your main influences as a writer? <laughs> um, I think I started out having like really really um, kind of um, <laughs> narrow horizons um, and I still kind of do in some ways I'm, I'm always finding new new stuff and that's really exciting to do um, but I think in that sort of very depressed uh, anxious teenager way it was probably uh, the lyricism of bands like Suede and Placebo <laughs> and Morrissey obviously um, but I was very interested in that kind of angst um, one of those kids eh? one of those kids <laughs> yeah absolutely teenage goth um, so I suppose I kind of um, was a frustrated rock star because I never had the patience for learning an instrument and I can't sing. Uh, so writing songs uh, became writing poems. Um, and then I studied Ted Hughes at school, but obviously became more interested in Plath, <laughs> as any sensible <laughs> girl would. Um, and then Emily Dickinson, um, the short poems thing, uh, is I think that comes from my slightly later teenager obsession with her and now there are a lot of uh, particularly female poets doing such amazing stuff I love at the moment Anne Carson uh, Rebecca Perry um, and yeah like um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in very experimental work I guess mm. um, yeah <laughs> and on that note perhaps we'll take another reading okay thank you um Right, I think uh, I'll read you some more. These ones are a bit sillier, <laughs> but very short. Um, introversion Forum. As if cut from, from the throat, in the cyan clarity of the moments that follow intercourse, we feel most keenly aware of the ice cream men and kite snapping taut against the wind. How far below? How many stories up are we? I kiss your eyelids. I saw it in a movie. Ah, bonsai, like a calm torturer laying out my bijou implements every day. I think my lover should be a little tree. And this is called My Pale Pink Bedspread, which is a real bedspread I actually own, and I wrote a poem about it. <laughs> my pale pink bedspread is edged with glass beads so that I feel like I have lined my chamber with the skins of the thousand high-status satin ragdolls I have slain. I am a tiny, soft-lipped Khan, scratching my tongue with a flamingo bone. It almost makes me feel the smartly trousered knee of the hetero twin pressing hard between my breasts. And when I roll over in the night, it makes a sound like Duchess, Duchess, Duchess. Um, and one more. Uh, this is called Our Town, and it's about where I live in Deptford. The dead rat was uninjured. Rigor mortis had set in, freezing the tail to a loop about the circumference of my forearm. Probably it had eaten poison. When it rains, which it sometimes does for days, the snails come out in liquid ITRs, and at night I saw a car with blue underlights parked outside the restaurant. Another place sells fruit loaves and second-hand bridesmaids' dresses. I don't know where to buy cat yet. Salvia, I do. Ask me about my tattoos. Red and white striped tube top, heart-shaped padlock. I didn't notice him putting his hand there, it was raining. But hold me like something that shakes when it goes unheld. You've trained your body not to take up the space it ought to take, and everyone else we've ever met 
would die if they came to this place. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, no matter the theme, it's nice to have poetry about South East London <laughs> on the podcast. South East London. As Lunar Poetry Podcast is very much a South East London All the uh, best entity. things are. <laughs> all the best poetry is coming out of South East London, I'm not thinking. And the best grime. Yeah. <laughs> it's where it's at, just the... the no, I'm not. I'm not even going to tell people how to get it because I don't want people <laughs> come and ruin it. Spoil it um, how important are uh, open mic slots and public readings in the development of your writing? Um, it's interesting actually because I really like using. It's probably a slightly risky strategy. I really like using. Um, I haven't been to an open mic in ages. I used to all the time when I was a teenager. Um, with a bunch of friends of mine uh, who were also four young poets because that was the first prize I won. Uh, we'd go to the open mic at the Poetry Cafe like every Tuesday and stay out till like two in the morning. <laughs> um, but I, I really like using them now as a way of trying out new material because I don't tend to show people already kind of workshop my poems. I just sort of work on them on my own and then debut them at readings. And it's quite a nice way I find of assessing people's reaction uh, because you can't really hide whether or not you're enjoying a poem at a reading. You kind of find there's an energy between you and an audience. Um, so in that sense, I kind of, I, I read stuff and then afterwards, if it doesn't maybe quite get the reaction I hope for, I rework it or scrap it or, and sometimes if you're not sure about something, you read it at reading and you get that kind of thoughtful, hmm, or, or, um, and that's when you know, yeah, maybe this is all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. I mean, a lot of my stuff's changed mm. uh, dependent on audience reaction. Mm. There is the, there is obviously the reality, though, that you can't legislate for people not listening to you. <laughs> you know I mean? And yes. you can't always trust people to be listening. No. You know, and that's not, um, that's not really knocking people. You know, Often you read at events no, where absolutely. people have read before and people are just tired or have switched off for a second. Yeah, and, we, and I, I do it at readings as yeah. well. Sometimes you just phase out. But... So I suppose, um, I'm assuming it's just that part of how the editing process oh, goes. I mean, so it's just about, is it more about um, assessing what the, the, how the pace of a poem feels to you? And the energy? I think so. Yeah. And also sometimes I find I'm reading something new. And it's never a good feeling when you're about to start the poem and you realise, crap, I'm a bit embarrassed by this poem, but I'm going to read it. <laughs> like like that, that sort of feeling, which is something I only really get at readings when you think... Am I gonna read it? I'm probably gonna read it. Probably means you shouldn't read it ever yeah. again. Yeah. Um, it's always a terrifying feeling when you're two lines in and you think, oh, this doesn't work at no, all. No, no. <laughs> and I think also because sometimes a lot of my poems deal with themes that, you know, female sexuality or whatever. And sometimes I just think, I, you know, I have a poem called Three Abduction Fantasies, which is about abduction fantasies. <laughs> and, um, you just think some of my work is quite sort of problematic or you know I think if, if a guy had written these poems um, people would maybe rightly not be very happy yeah. um, and I find readings are quite a good way of sort of testing out how far I feel like I can push things um, in that sense um, if that makes sense no no absolutely I mean I've read um, I had an experience early last year where I read a couple of poems where the content material was could be misread yeah or misinterpreted and then in my head I thought well that's fine because I'll just explain in, in 
the yeah, introduction in your preamble mm. but people don't listen to that and then you've <laughs> got this the, the free reign to misinterpret what you're reading and then yeah so I've been very wary about uh, yeah it can be you'll be very careful with something but, <laughs> um, so I've only I've only seen you read once in public and mm. I was at the Betsy Trotwood at Tim Wells's All Day recently and it was good fun yeah and yeah. it was my first one that I've ever attended completely sober yeah. so it was uh, interesting wow. I actually remember all the poetry yeah day, I was is, wasted by the time yeah, yeah. <laughs> I came around to um, doing the rest of British poetry reading you you seem to be the kind of uh, performer that likes to add a lot of energy or pace mm. to certain poems not all your readings but yeah. certain certain poems you tend to pick up the pace um, mm. how how difficult is it for you to hand over the control over the pace of reading to uh, re- to people reading your book after you've been published yeah um I think in some ways, I mean, I kind of hate the distinction and think it's a bit useless, um, but in some ways I consider myself more of a page than a performance poet. Um, and I think that's just because I've seen so many great performers, like Kate Tempest um, at Latitude was performing uh, the same year as me, and I was watching from backstage and it was just, whoa. She had completely, you know, 300 completely wasted guys just absolutely in the palm of her hand. Um, staring up in awe at her, and I was among them. <laughs> and um, and I don't think I'm. I can be quite shy um, and coy, and I don't really think I can compare to performance poets um, who really, really hone their craft like that. Um, but certain of my poems, um, an example is my poem about Valerie Solanus, um, which I read quite often. Um, which I pick up the pace for. I just don't know, in some ways, if they work on the page um, quite as well as when I read them. Um, but I don't mind kind of handing it. I'm always interested to see how people like react to my stuff without the context of seeing me or um, hearing me read. I'm quite interested in um, sort of poetry removed from whatever sort of baggage or misconceptions can come with actually seeing or knowing who a poet is. Mm. Um, I'm quite interested in that. Uh, so, um, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, no, actually, I think I've maybe loaded that question a bit there because I wasn't mm. suggesting that it should be a difficult process yeah. to give over your yeah. work. It's just, um, I just think it's an interesting uh, point to talk about because it not only, I think, a lot of people assume when you when you become published mm. that the main fear would be people judging your work yeah. as to whether it's any good or not. But yeah. you know, a big part of that is that whether you trust people to, and you're not uh, actually you're not in fact mistrusting the reader to understand mm. your work. What you're mm. doing is mistrusting yourself <laughs> to write clearly enough to yeah. suggest people. Would you agree with that? Um, I think. Um having a book out like particularly because I'm probably pretty young for having a first collection um there were certain things people could misread or I mean I suppose like we were talking about earlier some of it's not necessarily you know it's not poems about larks (laughs) or mountains um I was quite anxious about about certain things being misread uh when I kind of wasn't there I think you know hearing me read a poem about three abduction fantasies and, and seeing me and knowing sort of what kind of person I am or that, you know, it's all a bit tongue-in-cheek um, and reading it on the page um, and not having that context for it 
could be a very different experience and I think I think I was slightly worried about that um but I've been very lucky in that people who've kind of reviewed and responded to it so far have done so very thoughtfully and um kindly <laughs> um so I think um I think there's a tendency sometimes in poetry to patronize the reader or audience um so I think I've tried not to do that and I yeah <laughs> it's a very good point about not patronising people mm. too much because you, you and this is what I mean about mm. it, it is patronising to suggest that you don't trust the reader <laughs> because people are not you know most people are not idiots and people will get things and I, unless, I think it's uh, it seems often that the what is claimed as mistrust for the reader is mm. just um, uh, a lack of confidence in the writer's own ability to get their point across. I think also it's a slight offshoot of the fact that, you know, the audience for poetry is allegedly shrinking and blah, blah, blah. I think there's a tendency to kind of, um, sort of, well, the audience for poetry is shrinking because people just don't get it anymore. People just don't understand uh, my special little thoughts. Um, And I actually think, well, perhaps there's a reason and perhaps it's to do with poetry and I've always wanted to write poetry for people who don't necessarily read poetry um poetry with a sense of humor and poetry that you can appreciate uh without having a master's <laughs> um so that's something i'm quite conscious of and for me after a reading one of the best things is when you know someone's boyfriend has been dragged along or you know they've come with one of their mates and they're not really sure what to expect and someone comes up to me after reading and says I, I've never been to a reading before I don't usually read poetry but your stuff was great mm. like that's for me a lot nicer <laughs> it's the only reason I started, started making these podcasts mm. that's the, gr- the greatest um, praise I get is from people that have no interest in um, mm. poetry but have started listening regularly to the podcast yeah. because they feel like they have a connection to um to the writing stuff, but I was just about to ask how much of your writing then is an act of communication? Do, in that, do you write first and foremost for yourself and hope people that lo- mm-hmm. like it, or do you actually write with uh, with a reader in mind? I think that's changed actually since uh, Humbert Summer came out. Um, I'm now conscious of the fact I'm kind of writing with God. This sounds so presumptuous, but like kind of <laughs> a next book in mind, um, which I don't think I was before. Like I think. I mean, I might be wrong here, but I think most poets just start out kind of, you know, throw some shit at the wall, see if any of it sticks. Um, and once it starts to, um, it I think it, it does change how you write and it changes what you write. I'm maybe not sure exactly how, but I think that's something I'm, I'm conscious of happening in my own writing. I suppose um, I'm more kind of consciously experimental. I think it, it's become more of an act of communication. Uh, probably you know like in the last year um i suppose that's a natural progression isn't mm. it if you if you start writing you it would be i suppose it would be odd if the first thing you ever wrote was for an audience yeah it seems much more natural you would write for yourself but then with more exposure then you know yeah. especially if you're doing public readings it's a bit it's sort of impossible to not notice what the connection is with people yeah i think it's interesting because i mean the the, the main times poetry i know this is such a sort of trite thing to say but the main times poetry enters into people's lives at things like weddings and funerals and blah 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 um so i think it's perhaps one of the problems with the way poetry is taught and the way people begin writing poetry is that yeah they start writing as an act of kind of you know uh, communication sort of speechifying 
ideas about what poetry is rather than viewing it first and foremost as quite an intimate thing I kind of think about it more like sort of pillow talk yeah. <laughs> that's a really good point I don't know why you I can't think of what the context is but you're the second voice that I've heard this week say <laughs> mention about po- the, mm. the place of poetry within uh, funerals and weddings Yeah, and it takes um, poetry which is often not written at a time of importance yeah. like most people after school only come across uh, poetry in these really sort of uh, uh, very emotional events mm. and it you sort of then what happens is that poetry doesn't exist in the everyday does it no. it only exists at these very extremes of um someone coming into the world or leaving the world or yeah. this un- or in union now yeah, or, or, or <laughs> but very very pompous ones <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but on that, perhaps on that note of um, poetry being read publicly, we should have our final reading. Okay. Um, since I mentioned it earlier, um, I will read Valerie Solanas. Um, and uh, dear listener, you may know who she is. Uh, she shot Andy Warhol. Uh, didn't kill him, obviously. Um, and was the writer of the Scum Manifesto, which is brilliant. <laughs> Valerie Solanas. Discretion is the better part of not an actress insult writer for a diamond characteristic 32 automatic than on the day she wore makeup. Billy says the whole The Sorry Show made him, made Andy unlovable, unlovely as a slice of peanut brittle, spunk snag hack up the walls in hotels, Chelsea, Bristol, Bellevue, these traditional structures of Leonard Cohen songs about fellatio, satin sheets in the bourgeois theatre, like last day's all mnemonic, matic misery, her mother burned her belongings posthumously. And for my last poem, uh, I'm going to read a poem called Patterns. I can find it, which I'm sure I will eventually, um, which is a breakup poem. Lol. Uh, patterns. <clears throat> One. Every morning and without screaming, in yellow habit, birds wit and champion the guiltless waking, threaded on temperate radar and the drear wing of summer rain. Do you remember the dream of going back to blue eyes? Beautiful. He's the best fuck in the business. This is why I'm not allowed nice things, and more's the pity the body of a boy like a country will not commit to memory, further than the smell of city, a soft grey t-shirt and well-formed mouth. Of course, these were the always, the parts that killed and touched you most. Two. Buy the milk, make the bed, knowing where to find and how best hurt each other. It's what grown-ups do. It's how your parents met. Forget the cemetery and all the red beatitude of sun cracking the ice in his heart as if on floating panes of lead. It was joy, but never unalloyed, sending nudes in tiny games and variations of bloody murder. Just the same, these feelings feed on death, and as much as death means, the reordering of personality, the correction of what seemed effective anyway. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Um, it's always a really good sign when I wish I hadn't set an arbitrary time for <laughs> short podcasts of around a half an hour because we've got yeah. to the end of our time. But it's been really nice. I'm sure we'll have the chance to talk again yeah. on perhaps a more specific subject. Uh, I'd like that I'd like very that. much. Um, <laughs> uh, finally, um, where can people check out your work, um, blogs or... Uh, yes, I have a Twitter, at AKBlakemore. Um and uh, oh, I don't really have a website at the moment I'm afraid um, but I tend to post when stuff uh, goes up online on my Twitter so that's probably a good place to start uh, my book is available um, from the website of my publisher Eyewear um, and also on Amazon but don't buy it there 
<laughs> and uh, in the London Review of Books bookshop in central London and foils and large water stones is <laughs> large, there you large go. Ones. Okay. Uh, please do buy it. I'm very poor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Buy some poetry for Christ's sake. So yeah. Downloading it, oh, listen to it for free from me. Oh, that. Yeah, oh, no, that. No, 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 don't listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> just an introduction to buying books. Um, uh, also, oh, uh, you've had some work on Tom Bland's Blue of Newton blog. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, so have so have I. A few of my guests recently have check out Tom Bland's. Um, yeah, Tom Bland. I don't like to promote Tom Bland too much. He doesn't need it. <laughs> he doesn't need. He's very he's very good at self promotion. <laughs> uh, but check out Blue and Moon because uh, yeah. there's some interesting stuff on there, and uh, all the links to all these blogs and that will be in the description of the yeah. video. Thank you, Amy, so much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and goodbye from South East London. Goodbye. <laughs>